Hello and welcome to another episode of Social Studies on the Go. This time, Social Studies with Social Distance. And we are going to be reading Module 7, Lesson 1 on Washington Leads a New Nation. But first, we always like to start with something funny. So this joke is the context of a conversation between a father and a son. The son asks, Dad, how did you do in history tests? Well, said the father, I did like George Washington did. Oh, really? How was that? said the son. I went down in history. But Okay, here we go. So, Washington leads a new nation. The first president. Americans believed in... That's supposed to be the vocab. George Washington. They saw him as an honest leader and a hero of the revolution. Many believed he should be the first U.S. president. Washington had been looking forward to retirement and a quiet life on his Virginia farm. When he hesitated at becoming a candidate for the presidency, his friends convinced him to run. Fellow politician Governor Morris told him, should the idea prevail that you would not accept the presidency, it should prove fatal to the new government. Morris concluded confidently, of all men, you are the best fitted to fill that office. In January 1789, each of the 11 states that had passed the Constitution sent electors to choose the first president. These delegates formed a group called the Electoral College. The Electoral College is a body of electors who represent the people's vote in choosing the president. The Electoral College selected Washington unanimously, and John Adams became his vice president. Washington's wife, First Lady, Martha Washington entertained guests and attended social events with her husband. She described the scene to her niece. I have not had one half hour to myself since the day of my arrival. She ran the presidential household with style. Other women of the time period, such as author Judith Sargent Murray, believed that women needed to play a greater role in the new nation than Martha Washington did. Murray, Abigail Adams, and others believed in Republican motherhood, the idea that women played an important role in teaching their children to be good citizens. Some promoters of Republican motherhood did not expect women to participate in politics or business. Other people, however, hoped that Republican motherhood would lead to greater opportunities for women. They hoped more women would receive an education. Only a few families were willing to provide much education for their daughters and adult women rarely had the time or money to get an education later in life. Most women in the early Republic faced long days managing their households and working hard inside or outside the home to support their families. Organizing the government. Hard work also lay ahead for members of the new government. The new federal government had to create policies and procedures that would determine the future of the country. As President Washington noted in a letter to James Madison, the first of everything in our situation will serve to establish precedent. A precedent is an action or decision that later serves as an example. The first Congress created departments in the executive branch for different areas of national policy. Washington met with the department heads or cabinet members who advised him. Today, we know the presidents have cabinet meetings with their top advisors. This practice started 
during Washington's presidency and was common by 1792. For two of his most important cabinet positions, Washington chose carefully. He picked Alexander Hamilton as Secretary of the Treasury and Thomas Jefferson as Secretary of State. Henry Knox served as Secretary of War and Samuel Osgood was chosen as Postmaster General. Hamilton was a gifted economic planner and Jefferson had served as an ambassador to France. Knox had helped Washington run the Continental Army and Osgood had governmental, government experience. To set up the federal court system and the court's locations, Congress passed the Judiciary Act of 1789. Ooh, that may sound familiar from the Marbury v. Madison case. This act created three levels of federal courts and defined their powers in relationship to the state courts. It set up federal district courts and circuit courts of appeals. The president nominated candidates for federal judgeships. Those candidates then had to be approved or rejected by the Senate. Washington wrote about the importance of these duties. I have always been persuaded that the stability and success of national government would depend in a considerable degree on the interpretation and execution of its laws. In my opinion, therefore, it is important that the judicial system should not only be independent of its operations, but as perfect as possible in its formation. The basic parts of the federal government were now in place. Leaders began to face the challenges of the new nation. Hard work lay ahead. Americans' expectations for the nation. Most Americans had high expectations for the new country. They wanted improved trade, free from too many restrictions. But they also expected the government to protect them and to keep the economy as stable. However, the idea of belonging to one United Nation was new to them. In 1790, the United States was home to almost 4 million people. Most Americans lived in the countryside and worked on farms. Farmers wanted fair tax laws and the right to settle Western lands. They did not want the government to interfere with their daily lives. Other Americans worked in towns as craftspeople, laborers, or merchants. These people looked to the government to help their businesses. Most merchants wanted similar trade laws established. Manufacturers wanted laws to protect them from foreign competitors. Most cities were small. Only New York City and Philadelphia had populations larger than 25,000 people. New York City was the first capital of the United States and represented the spirit of the new nation. Although badly damaged during the revolution, the city had already begun to recover. Citizens got rid of many signs of the British rule, and New York recovered back then, and it will recover again after this. New York City had a bustling economy. International trade and business became more active. A French visitor to New York City noted the city's energy. Um, Everything in the city is in motion. Everywhere the shops resound with the noise of workers, one sees vessels arriving from every part of the world. In 1792, some 24 stockbrokers signed an agreement under a buttonwood tree on Wall Street. This agreement was the foundation for what later became the New York Stock Exchange. It cemented Wall Street's image as the economic hub of the United States and eventually the world. Today, the New York Stock Exchange is the largest market for securities or stocks in the world. By 1790, the city's population had topped 33,000. 
and was growing rapidly. To many officials, this vibrant city reflected the potential future of the new nation. It was thus a fitting place for the capital. Well, that wraps up this episode of Social Studies on the Go. I hope you are safe and sound with your families. And stay tuned because Module 7 Lesson 2 is coming right up.